I'll tell you what I thought I would do with you this morning. Uh, I um, did something I'd never done before. I've got six kids, if you don't know. Uh, three of them are now out of my little nest or the discipleship program that has been living with Todd Wagner for 18 years. And uh, one is married. So uh, depending on how you look at it, I'm down to five or up to seven. And uh, one is a junior at A&M. One is uh, a freshman at University of Arkansas. What's unique about the one who's a freshman at the University of Arkansas is it was the first male that I spun off to college. Now, when you think about sending kids to college, um, you might think it would be harder to unleash a woman onto a college campus that you are fearful of. Now, look, I, let me just ask you a question. Are we, uh, is this being broadcast out there into the lobby? Anybody know? Because I know that there are gals out there. And I want to know if I'm talking to men or if I'm talking to the lobby. It is out there? Shut it off, all right? Uh, or I will skip to the next illustration, okay? <laughs> Let me skip to the next illustration, all right? <laughs> but uh, let me just suffice it to say that I was really surprised to find out that dropping my son off on a college campus felt very different than dropping my daughters off. When I dropped my daughters off, obviously with a great deal of love for them, um, you know, I, I wanted them to prosper and succeed and be safe and do well and find friends. It's the same thing I wanted for my son. But for some reason, I felt a different weight of responsibility in letting a man go into the world than I did my daughter. And I think the reason for that is, is because my daughters uh, are going to prosper or suffer uniquely uh, by the men that they're introduced to more than my son is going to suffer because there are some bully, self-indulgent women that he runs into. Just the way God made us, okay? So I'm just going to just very honestly just tell you that, that God created male and female. In the image of God, he created them. Men are not more made in the image of God than women are. Men are not more important to God than women are. There is equal dignity and value in both male and female, but we are not the same. And this idea that uh, how men behave and how women behave or what men should do and what women should do being the same thing is going to destroy any societal um, mores or any societal community that, that embraces this idea that men and women are the same. We are not the same. There are certain roles that men must play. And if women try and play them, it will not go well for them. I am not a fan of women in military combat. The fact that men would send women into military combat says more about men. I think women are courageous. I think women are necessary to our efforts. They always have been. But when you put women in positions that men should be in, A, you're going to get your clock clean, and B, I think it's a judgment against you as a man. That's a separate conversation for another day. But suffice it to say that God created men. We are stronger. We are made emotionally different. And we have a responsibility as a result of that. And there was something in me that felt that when I dropped my son off at college. Because I was either going to add to the provision and the protection of Fayetteville or the denigration and the danger of it. 
And I knew that there were some guys that were dropping their daughters off. And my son was either going to be a, a, a source of blessing to those young women or he was going to be someone they had to look out for. And it really struck me. As I was uh, thinking about what I was going to do in my ride up, kind of to sum up 18 years of discipleship with my boy and my lad, um, I started just to sit down one day and I kind of wrote um, just a bunch of bullet points that I wanted to make sure that um, he could carry with him as he went forward. And so I just, I told him, hey, hey Coop, here's the deal. This is going to be how you live faithfully in Fayetteville and frankly forever. And I thought, because of the forever part applied to you, I would share it with you this morning. Now let me tell you some amazing things um, about a kid that has gone to college in the last two years. Some of you guys may or may not know, but there's a, um, a, a university called Beloit College. Uh, it's a college, uh, not a university, that uh, um, every year compiles facts about an incoming freshman class. And so this is the, 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 the things that are true of the class of 2018, which would have entered college last year, and the class of 2019. And sometimes you forget what these people that are now uh, entering into these formative years that college are, or the, frankly, uh, destructive years that college can be, these are things that are true about them. So let me just read them to you. This is pretty interesting. So uh, Princess Diana, Jacques Cousteau, and Mother Teresa have never been alive during their lifetime. Now, what's funny about that is some of us go, I mean, I know who that is. Neither is Notorious Big for you rap fans, all right? Never been alive during their entire lifetime. Um, Michael Jackson's son was born when they were born. Uh, Google has always been there. Um, They have never licked the postage stamp. Email is the the formal communication that they are used to. Uh, Twitter and, and, um, and Facebook posts and text messages is informal. That's, that's all they've ever known. Um, Hong Kong has always been part of China their entire life. Uh, they grow up expecting Wi-Fi as a necessary entitlement. And if there's no Wi-Fi, they're like, what's wrong with this archaic land? Um, their parents have gone from encouraging them to do research on the internet to begging them to get off it. Uh, if you say, well, around the turn of the century... They're going to go, which century? Um, When they were born, cell phone usage was so expensive that families only used large phones, usually in cars, for emergencies. That's how fast we've come. Uh, I I remember when I I proposed to my wife almost 25 years ago, uh, I had to uh, rent and I I, I involved... um, a cell phone in the process. And it wasn't a cell phone, it was a car phone. I had to rent a car with a, a phone in it in order to pull off what I wanted to do as I asked her to marry me. That, that, that's, that's what they were born into. And you think about how radically different it is today. The ther- uh, therapeutic use of marijuana has always been legal. The Houston Oilers have never been in Texas. Um, surgeons have always used super glue. The Lion King has always been a Broadway musical in their lifetime. Uh, it's just interesting when you go back and look and see uh, how, um, how different things have been. TV has always been high def their entire life. Um, when they were born, their parents had bazooka-sized camcorders that videoed their first steps. Just completely obsolete now. Um, they were born in the last four years that our federal budget ran 
uh, with any kind of surplus. When they see a guy with circular wire rim glasses, who do you think of when you see a guy like that with circular wire rim glasses? John Lennon, John Denver. Who do they think of? Harry Potter. They don't go to John Lennon. Those glasses represent Harry Potter. Um, when they press pound on a phone, they don't press pound. They're hit hashtag. That's what they do. Um, they don't look for autographs. Celebrity selfies are the things that they want. John Stewart has been the only reliable source of information for this group. <laughs> they never watch Saturday morning cartoons. They watch animation domination. Uh, the water cooler, that little expression we use all the time, that's no longer a place to catch up on... Uh, on social conversations, a place now to go fill up their water bottle. Women have always been at VMI and the Citadel. Um, courts have always been overturning uh, bans on same-sex marriage. They don't know who Joe Camel is. He's never induced them to smoking. Um, there's always been a constitutional right to dignified, humane death. Students have always been able to dance at Baylor their entire life. <laughs> Cloning has always been a fact. Ads for prescription drugs have always been on TV. My goodness. Let me, let me tell you something, man. If you don't know what to do if you've got erectile dysfunction yet, you are not watching TV. All right? <laughs> Is it not crazy? I'm like, I think I got it, dude. All right? First of all, it might help if you get in the same bathtub. I'd recommend that. That will that'll get you well down the road, all right? <laughs> in fact, if you're in your own bathtub and you don't have an erectile dysfunction problem, that's another conversation for another day. All right. The Unabomber, remember that? It's always been behind bars. I could go on and on. It's just amazing some of the stuff that's been out there. Um, you know, pregnancy. One of the routes to pregnancy has always been through maybe potentially grabbing a frozen embryo. That's just normative for them. And so you think about what is being introduced to kids as they go to college or what they're used to. It's a, it's a, it's a very different world that they live in than what we lived in. And there's lots more I could have said that um, chose not to share with you. But I wanted to say one other thing about college. College is an amazing thing in, in, in that the way that we look at guys who go to college today, it's like it's a birthright. We, we sent our, our middle class America as kind of like, hey, we got to send our kids to college. And often we, we strap them with incredible burdens financially. Where when they get out of college, they have massive amounts of debt that limit their freedom, that set them way behind in their ability to maybe do what God wants them to do or even enter into a marriage in a healthy way. It's just understood for a lot of kids that they're going to come out of college with massive amounts of debt. It's always been told to them that, that if you go to college, you're going to make um, a significant amount more, an estimated $1 million more million in your lifetime. Now, what's not told them is that the kind of folks that go to college are usually better students. They're usually more socially connected. And they're more disciplined in their studies and hardworking. And frankly, if you just took that group coming out of high school and just set them apart and there was no thing at college, the truth is those kind of people are going to do better anyway. Um, so, you know, here's what I would tell you. Uh, uh, Michael Dell, Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Mark Cuban, Richard Branson, Peter Jennings. Guess what they all have in common? Never went to college. Now, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't send your kids to college, but I do want to tell you this. Do you know that there are 80,000 bartenders in the United States with a bachelor's degree? 
Do you know that almost 20% of baggage porters and bellmen have bachelor degrees? You know that 15% of taxi drivers and limo drivers have bachelor degrees? And hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of massive debt. College, okay, gang, in our society has become, frankly, not an institution of higher learning, but it's big business. And they frankly don't even care how well their professors do in the classroom. Professors are not evaluated by how well they do in the classroom. They are evaluated by how they do in terms of academic research and writing in peer-reviewed journals that nobody reads. And with very few exceptions, all of us would say, you know what, man? College was a time of decadence, deprivation, that I frankly survived more than thrived in. And I look back at my college years with probably a lot of guilt and shame, and I've had to break free from a lot of what I did in college, much more than I used college as a time to prepare me to be the man that God wants me to be. Uh, One sociologist said that he thinks the end of the English empire was when they started to send their kids to boarding school. And I might even observe that potentially the end of America has been this sense of entitlement where we send our kids off to college that now is more like Dante's Inferno than some place to develop the intellect. And I want to make sure that I step, uh, sent my son into that ready to be a man and to make a difference because that's my responsibility. That's my, my job is not to get my kid through college. My job is to help my kid thrive and be God's man. And I want him to remember that. This is not a time to do anything other than to be faithful. So here's what I shared with him, and I'll just do one last thing before I dive into to that. I'm going to tell you why I really believe I felt a burden when I sent my son to college that I didn't feel when I sent my daughters. Because one of the ways that God judges a nation is not by having a bunch of loose women running around, but by having a bunch of uh, self-indulgent, deprived, debaucherous, weak men. You guys all seen the little deal at some, sometimes uh, when you walk into uh, those little places that have placards, you know, um, cracker barrels and things like that, where it says, if mama ain't happy, what's it say? Ain't nobody happy. Can I just tell you something? That's a lie. Mama can be really happy, but if dad's a jerk, if dad's absent, if dad's a bully, if dad's lazy, Mama won't be happy. And the family is going to be dysfunctional. When you get a dad in the car who is moody and angry, I don't care how happy mama is. It's a beating to get in that car. And one of the ways that God judges a land is by sending or raising or allowing a country to develop men that are idiots. Weak. Emasculated or bullies. Guys that think they either need to be a badass or they don't want to be a bad boy. That's how you screw up a country. This is Isaiah chapter 3. It says this. It says, behold, and this is bringing judgment to Israel. It says, the Lord, the God of hosts, is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. The whole supply of bread, the whole supply of water, everything you need for life, it's going to be gone. It's a, it's a time of judgment. And he says, guess what else I'm going to take away? That which you need for a nation to thrive. The mighty 
man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50, the honorable men, the counselor, the expert artesian, and the skillful enchanter, and I will make mere lad their princess. And capricious children will rule over them. The people will be oppressed, each one by another, each one by his neighbor. The youth will storm against the elder and the inferior against the honorable. When a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house saying, you got a cloak, you be our ruler. In other words, the, the, the bar for leadership will be so low that if you're just not storming naked through the streets, we'll make you a king. And gang, when that happens, you've got a land that is under judgment. I'll make lads their princesses. So what, what, what are kids like? Kids are, are individuals that, that are selfish. They're, they're, they're not naturally other-centered. Children are not naturally focused on other people. And when you get leaders who, who use power to preserve power and not power to serve others, you've got a land that's really in trouble. That's what's going on in our land. Our leaders, they're politicians, they're not statesmen. They want to know what the polls are going to say about them so they can continue to be in powerful positions because they're self-centered. They're not statesmen that are willing to say, I don't care if you run me out, but I'm going to lead you. And if you want me to be your leader, then you elect somebody else because I'm going to lead you in righteousness and the right way. But that's not the way people who love power lead. They're demanding. They want what they want and they pitch a fit when they don't get it. And no doesn't mean no to them. And they'll be bullies. And if they got to put something in your drink to get what they want, they'll do it. They're short-sighted. They like any discipline in the area of delayed gratification. That's what kids do. You ask a kid if he wants a snow cone or a car, and he'll say, give me the snow cone. They lack in wisdom. They're childish and foolish. They have lack of information, and if they have information, they don't operate on it. They're helpless. They, don't, they can't do anything. Kids can't do anything to change their environment. They're a victim of their environment, and that's what weak men are. They're impulsive. They're prone to temper tantrums and fits. That's what children do, and bad leaders do too. They're easily deceived. They don't run from danger. They consistently make messes that they cannot clean up. They are fickle in their commitments and friendships. They're indiscriminate in what they put in their mouths. And when they lead, you get trouble. So I felt a tremendous burden as I started to say, I'm about to send a man into this world. I'm either going to be a contributor to the problem or I'm going to be a part of the solution. And so this is what my son and I talked about as we drove up to Fayetteville. I said, buddy, here we go. There's no longer to be um, a dad who is present to remind you and rebuke you. You are on your own. And I just said, I want to tell you, this is why I've raised you. You can go whatever way you want, but these are the things that we talked about. Number one, I said, hey, bro, you need to know this. It's all about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. College is not a time for you to go up there and get grades. It's not a time for you to go up there and get girls. It's not a time for you to go and have a good time or get ahead in the world. It is a time for you to go and make disciples. 
your life is a long-term mission opportunity and you got a four-year short-term mission trip in Fayetteville and I am sending a man to Fayetteville and I expect Fayetteville to be a better place because God's man is there. If you want to go and live a debaucherous life, that is fine. I will not fund it. I will not help it. I will not support it. I will pray for you and warn Fayetteville that you are coming. And I'll do everything I can to defund you because I love you and because I'm responsible for that land. And so you need to know, bro, as you go up here, college is not a time to taste the world. It is a time to show the world now for the very first time whose you are. You have tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good, bro, and so it's time for you to go out there and get it done. You know, I just, um, I just told him, man, in the beginning, uh, it was about Jesus, and it's about Jesus now. Colossians chapter 1 just says all things have been created through him and for him. That means college was created for him. That means you were created for him. That is true of 18-year-olds headed off to college, and it is true for you today. And one of the problems in your families, one of the problems in this city is you think that your career is yours. It's not. And this city suffers because there's some guys who think that their families are there to give them significance, to make them happy. That their wives are there to cook for them, to pleasure them sexually, to raise their kids, to give them a companion. No, your marriage is there for you to glorify Jesus Christ. And when you get men who are in marriage or in college who don't understand it's all about Jesus, you've got trouble in the land. And so guys, I'm just going to tell you, it's all about Jesus. Always has been, always will be. Do you not know, the scripture says to men who say they know God, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit dwells in you and that you are not your own, you've been bought with a price? Do you not know whether you know you're in relationship to God or not, it's still all about Jesus and you're going to give an account? It might look like Jesus doesn't care what you do, but do not be deceived. There are kids that are crying and praying that God would send them a man who was present in their life. And you feel like God's not listening to those prayers. Let me just tell you something. God hears their prayers and he is not happy that you are leading the university that they are being raised in. It is all about Jesus. Second thing I said to my son is this. Hey, bro, you need to know this. Jesus is all about bringing you to the Father and the Father is all about restoring his glory in you. Why did I do this? And the answer is, is because what you think about God when you think about God, is the most important thing about you. And I just wanted to remind him one more time as he got out of the car. First of all, you need to know something. You're going to be accountable. This isn't, this isn't really about Coop right now in four years. This is about Jesus. And, and you need to know this about Jesus. Okay? Jesus is God, and God loves you, and, and God wants to restore his glory in you. And so, so when I tell you it's all about Jesus, you're like, oh, man, really, Dad? The college is when I kind of get to go out there and kind of you know, sow my wild oats. And I want to say, bro, it's that you don't have your wild oats. This is not about you. There is no Cooper. There is a servant of the king. That's who you are. So you have no wild oats to sow, bro, unless you are a rebel and unless you are claiming for yourself what is not yours. And that's true of you. You know, that Ashley Madison debacle that just happened, you know what their little phrase was? You know what the phrase on Ashley Madison is? It was, life is short, have an affair. 
You know what I told my son? Hey, bro, let me tell you something. Life is short. You don't need an affair. This is your time to go to war. Life is short. You can suck it up and be a godly man and, and keep yourself with honor and chastity for this little 70-year tour through earth. This is time to be a man. Life is short. This is just a vapor. It's just a wisp. It's not time for you to go over there and jack around or any other jack word. It is time for you to be a man. Life is short. Quit telling yourself it's hard and giving yourself an excuse. And you need to quit telling yourself that God is hard. God is good. And what God wants to do is make you a man that others look at and go, you know what, if more men were like you, this would be a better place. That that little verse in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I used to think that that was a verse that was me already knowing, I know, I know, I know, I'm not the man you want me to be. Don't, don't, don't smack me. That's not what the verse is saying. It's, it is saying, hey, listen, guys, ever since you've left me as men, you haven't been the men that I want you to be. And what I want you to be is great men, men that women long to celebrate, long to, to be submissive to, long to be subject to, long to be under their rule, long to be brought near to them, long to give themselves to physically, long to be emotionally tied to them. Those kind of men cherish women and honor women and serve women, and they're not self-indulgent, debaucherous, decadent men. And you need to know something. God wants to make you that man. And so when you think about God, as you go to college, you need to know this, that Jesus, that it's all about, is all about one thing, and that is delivering you from the domain of darkness and bringing you into the kingdom of his beloved son, or God's about delivering you from darkness and putting you in the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus is the means through which you can be reconciled to the Father. And time is out there for you right now to go and show the greatness of your God, the goodness of your God, and not have what the world calls a great time. You go and show the world what it is to be a great man because you have a relationship with God. And people ought to start to say, you know what, man, of all the kids in this dorm, that guy's different. Of all the guys in my fraternity or all the guys on my athletic team, that guy's different. And you need to know Jesus is the one that will make you that. Thirdly, I told him if you know the Father and you know the Son, like you tell me you do, you will, you will yield to the Holy Spirit. You'll say, all I want is more of you, God, in my life and controlling my life. And you will love and serve others. And so this is how you can know that you're making your life all about Jesus and that Jesus has reconciled you to the Father. This is how you're going to know. You want to know if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus? How are you doing at loving and serving others? That's the way you measure your day. Not how many girls like me, not how much fun did I have, but did I today love and serve others? I said it before. Most people use power to maintain power or to increase their power. Great men use power to serve others. And so I'm going to tell you guys, you want to know how you are truly a believer in Jesus Christ? That other people around you today are going to know that guy. That guy cares about me. He's not trying to be popular. He is full of grace and truth. He loves me. He leads me. He sacrifices for me. And he doesn't use me. Just like you got. Fourthly, I said, bro, you can't love and serve others if you don't love and feed yourself. So you want to be all about Jesus, this Jesus who, who his only focus is to restore you in a relationship with the Father who wants to restore you to glory? 
And the way you'll know that, that it's all about Jesus and you've been restored to the Father through what Christ has done so that you can love and serve others, then you need to, you need to know this, man. That's not going to be naturally who you are. You, you, you can't love and serve others if you don't lead and feed yourself. I just told him, I said, bro, you will be what you're now becoming. And so... Um, you know, what you eat matters. So uh, I, I think we've got this. So here's, here's the typical food pyramid that's uh, up there that when, you know, you got your grains on the bottom. I think we've got this, Daniel. See if you got it up there. There it is. Okay. So, uh, you know, you got your veggies, you got your fruit, you work your way up some dairy products. Okay. And uh, uh, things at the top. This is the college food pyramid right here, right there. That's it. All right. All right. We all know about the freshman 15. We all know about all those different things. Okay. Well, listen, you are what you eat. What you eat does matter. But if that's true in a physical realm, and it's very true in a physical realm, it is even more true in the spiritual realm. First Timothy 4, 6 and 7 just talks about this. And one of the things I, I said to my son, I said, bro, listen, you, you, know, you need to realize this. Discipline is the heavy door that leads to freedom. You want to be free to be the man that you want to be? It, 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 it's going to take discipline. And discipline is hard work. It's a tough thing to open that heavy lead door that is discipline. It's easier to go through doors you step on and they open automatically for you. I mean, this is, this is a heavy door, but you want to open that door and it leads to freedom. 1 Timothy 4, 6 just says that. When you point this out, you know, um, to, the, to the brethren, you'll be a, a faithful servant. And uh, it's actually 2 Timothy 4, 6. And seven and eight, where it talks about that um, physical discipline is good, but, but spiritual discipline is even better because it has benefit in this life and in the life to come. First Corinthians 9, 26 and uh, 27 talk about the fact that, that if you don't discipline yourself and all you do is tell others how to be disciplined, if you don't run in such a way as, as without aim, if you don't box in such a way as not just beating the air, but you've got to discipline your body and make it your slave so that after you're preaching to others, you don't find yourself disqualified. I just told him, I said, bro, you're not going to go up there and tell people what they're supposed to be like. You've got to discipline yourself so you can be like that yourself. That's what Paul said. He said, I discipline myself. I make my body my slave so that after I become a preacher, I'm not disqualified myself. And I just told him, I said, bro, you need to be ready. The precious possession of a man is diligence, Proverbs 12 says. You will not be able to lead and serve others if you don't lead and feed yourself. Self-leadership is the key to greatness. Fifthly, I said, man, how you start each day, each week, each semester determines more than you can imagine. The scripture says, man, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, um, I told him, I said, look, you guys have been around baseball your whole life. What happens if you want to be a decent baseball player? What's the, what's the magic number at the plate that we kind of grade baseball players by? Right? 300. You hit 300 over a career, folks are going to go, you are unique among men that have played the game. And if you go up there and you don't care about your first six at bats, that means you've got to go three for four. And bro, not very many guys go three for four. So what I would commend you to do is I would take every at bat very seriously, especially my first five. Because you start off and you go five for five, guess what? You got a little flex in there. 
You got an opportunity when everybody else is trying to get it done at the last minute to catch up and survive. You can go 0 for 5 at that point because you've gone 5 for 5. And so what I would encourage you to do is not to work hard so you can be a, a sluggard later, but I'm just telling you something. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of rest, and your poverty will come among you like an armed man. Now, why do I say that? Because it's in Scripture, but, but that's a really funny way for Scripture to say this. You, you would think that it goes the opposite way. It says one more time in Proverbs, it says uh, uh, a, a, little, um, a little slumber, a little, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your want comes across you like an armed man. You'd think it'd be the other way, a little folding of the hands, uh, folding of the hands to rest, a little nap, and then a little sleep, and you're in trouble. That's not the way it typically works. What happens is guys sleep, they take naps, and you get to the point where now you've not done what you're supposed to do, and now if you so much as fold your hands for a second, you're done. And so don't start lazy. Start hard. <laughs> if your first thought of God Okay, in your week, you know, Christians moved from uh, the Jewish mindset of work and rest to remember and work. That's what that's what happened when when um, Jesus entered into this mindset that, hey, we do what we're supposed to do and we rest on the Sabbath. That was the end of the week. Okay, to the Jew, it was the first day of the week. Um, you know, but, but to us, actually the first day of the week was always Sunday, the end of the week with rest. And to, and when Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, we start our week remembering who Jesus is, what he's done for us, the relationship that has been won. And then we work out our salvation with fear and trembling the rest of the week. It's not work and rest. It's remember and work. And some of us you know, that's one of the things that we've done today. We're starting our day. Your day, I promise you, your day is going to be different because you're waking up and you're thinking about these things first. And if you wake up, you pound your email, you read your New York Times, you look at your Wall Street Journal, you look at your uh, responsibilities, and you see if you've got a little margin a little bit later in the day to consider Jesus, it's not going to go well with you. And so I just was reminding him, bro, how you start each day, each week, each semester determines more than you can imagine. Next, I said to him, who you choose to run and live with is how you will choose to run and live. <laughs> Guys, this is why the summit's so important. You've got to find men that you're going to run with that, um, that are mighty men, that are committed to going to war against the enemies of the things of God. And the companion of fools will suffer harm. He who walks with wise men will be wise. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. I'm telling you, who you choose to run and live with is how you will choose to run and live. And you want to be one of those men that evaluates friends by asking yourself, are these men serious about the things that God is serious about? You don't try and find people that you think are fun and popular and work their way into God's kingdom program. You find men who are about God's kingdom program and you run with them. If you want to be great, that is true in Dallas. And that's what I'm telling you. Most guys are not a part of a team and they are suffering greatly because of it. Men who are isolated do not get better. I told him this. I said, women are not play toys. They are God's daughters. Honor them. Protect them. Serve them. 
Let me tell you one more thing. This is, this is something you need to know. All right, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is a very unique section of Scripture. And God is going to lay it straight out. You might think because you're, you're a guy, you can get away with what you want and bully women and, and use them the way the rest of the will does. But you want to know what it means to make it all about God? This is the will of God. There's only two places in Scripture that it specifically comes straight up and says, this is the will of God. Now, we know that God's will is revealed in all of his word, but this is one of the places in Scripture where it specifically says, this is the will of God. And you think about where we are as a country right now, and we're saying we don't really care what the will of God is related to our sexual conduct. And it will not go well for that land. But this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is specifically that you abstain from sexual morality. The early church was marked by three things. They were marked by their charity, in other words, their generosity. They were marked by their chastity, their, the fact that they were not participating in the pagan practices that the Roman society largely was. And they were known for their character. Just in general, that what they said, their word was their bond. But, but watch this. Um, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to possess their own vessel in sanctification and honor the scripture says. Now it goes on from there. After that, and it says further down in this little section, um, in First Thess chapter 4, where it tells you that, um, that uh, godly men don't live in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man, should, every man should be careful to not transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because watch this, the Lord is the avenger in all these things. And so, you know, I just told them, I said, you need to know something, man. Those girls that are out there, they're not your toys. They are God's daughters. And you may think you're getting away with it, but bro, he's watching. I'll tell you a very quick story. When I was, um, a, a place I used to work, um, my kids were in a Mother's Day Out program when they were really little. And my oldest daughter was three at the time. And, and where they would go out to play during their little Mother's Day Out recess was right outside where my office was. And I was watching one day. It was, a, it was one of those offices that had a little window that just popped out about three inches, you know, to get some air in. It really wasn't a window. It just created some flow like an old classroom. And, um, and so they were kind of tinted so I could see out and she could see. I used to love to watch her play out there. And I can remember one day when my daughter was three years old, she was sitting there and she was kind of on a little, um, uh, by a, a slide, and she was waiting to go up and she was talking to another little girlfriend. And there was a boy that ran up uh, from another playground area. And he, he got kind of in line behind the two girls that were standing there. And they weren't really paying attention. They were just talking. And he, he waited, you know, what to him probably felt like a lifetime. It turned out to be like five or ten seconds. And he was frustrated these girls weren't moving. And so my little girl was first in line. So he, he reached up. He grabbed the back of Allie's hair. He pulled her down. And, you know, she didn't know. All of a sudden, next thing she's on the ground, he stepped on her. And then he got on the slide, second step, went up and went down the slide and ran off to play in the next thing. And I got to tell you, I almost fit through that three-inch crack. <laughs> and I want to go out there and find that little sense of, no, no, you don't realize what you just did. and You don't know who was watching. And then I want to go over to their little shepherds that were over there sitting on their park bench, eating their grapes, not paying attention to all these kids that were over there and go, and let me talk to you, shepherd, about what I just saw happen under your watch. And as I was realizing I couldn't fit through that little three-inch crack, and I was about out my office door and up and this way and to go around the building and come out, I, I got out of my office, and the Lord said, hey, baby, before we run out there, let me just tell you something. 
Do you remember sometimes when you grabbed little girl's hair and you did things to them because they were kind of in your way for what you wanted? That's how I felt. And I saw it. And you need to know something. They're not just a stepping stone to get you up on your little slide that you want. That's my little girl. And you better slow down and ask for grace. I told my son when we were walking on campus, you know, when we were doing our little um, journey through Fayetteville, and there was just little blonde cutie after blonde cutie and uh, walking around. I mean, just cute little girls, right? All around. I finally said, Coop, I go, come here, stop for a second. Me and his mom and uh, his younger brother were walking. I said, Coop, just stop for a second. I go, hey, but let me ask you a question. When you see all these cute young gals, what, what do you think of? And this is what he did to me. He goes, oh, what? what? I, 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 don't see, I don't see him. What are you talking about? <laughs> Like, what you, you know, that's slapping like Mohit Curly and just go, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean you don't see them? They are everywhere. What do you think of when you see a good looking girl? I, I don't know. I go, well, let me tell you what you should think. I said, you should think charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord should be praised. Because, bro, I'm telling you something, there's some beauty up here. And if you choose a gal that way, it's going to be a great source of pain to you. You find a woman who loves the Lord. If you want to hang out with a girl, you find a woman who loves the Lord. Because that's deceitful and vain. And it's seductive. I told him this. I said, bro, you want to be great in life. Don't choose your friends or your future career by how much fame or finances they offer. I told him money takes wings, fame is a vapor, character endures. I basically shared with him Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Don't weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies towards heaven. I said, here's the deal, bro. You should love people and use things. And you should avoid people who love things and use people. I told him just this and kind of summarized. I said, listen, bro, at the end of the day, be wise, be humble, be fun. And you beware of the lie that those three things are mutually exclusive. <laughs> I said, be wise, stay humble. And just have fun. And don't ever believe that if you're going to have fun, you've got to not be wise or not be humble. I just reminded him, you know, and you know, First Peter five eight says, "Be a sober spirit, be on the alert." Your adversary, the devil, he's out there, and he is lying to you. He is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. It's all he does. And so I said, you just need to constantly remind yourself that what God wants to do is set you up to have a great time in college, and that you want to have fun then you stay humble before God and you be wise. You live a skilled life. That is the good way. I just told him, I said, bro, the way of the treacherous is hard. And you need to know that. It looks like the treacherous are getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. The way of the treacherous is hard. And I about kicked him out of the car at this point. I said, bro, be ready, be bold, be kind, be faithful. Go be God's man. 
told him to go forth with courage. I told him to return with honor. I told him to live fearlessly because of his future hope. I said, you're ready. I've invested everything I had in you for 18 years. You're ready. We, we haven't been stellar in our application of these truths underneath me. Maybe it wasn't fun because I was there spurring you on towards these things, but now we get to see whose you are. And if you want to be, you're ready. And don't you shrink back. You be bold and you be kind. I told him basically what God told uh, his people. He said, you want me to sum it all up? Here we go. You ready? He has told you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justice, to love kindness, and you walk humbly with the Lord. Guys, that's where life is. Can I just tell you what's so amazing about the book of Ecclesiastes that you're going to read? Solomon had the college experience that nobody could have. He never had to put a sign up that said, Mom and Dad, send money. He, he never had to uh, eat and live on ramen noodles. He never hoped that he could get that cute girl in the Kappa house. He had the entire campus as a concubine. He had more money than any man that ever lived. And, and, and he invested himself in the wildness and the craziness and the indulgence of the ways of man. And he was isolated because of his fame and his fortune. And this book, already spoiler alert, is Solomon letting you watch his game film. And you watch this strong kid that had been set up for success give himself away during his glory years. And then he calls you by his deathbed in chapter 12. And he pulls you close and he says, can I tell you something? Don't do what I did. Because life is with God. And while you're young, you get to know this God that is great. Because I've tasted everything the world has to offer. And it does not taste good. It leaves a bitter aftertaste. My dad was right. Who had a heart after God. The one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Turn, a snot, turn away from the snares of death. My son, good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. I've lived a hard life. And Ecclesiastes ends with him just saying this. Son, while you're young, make it all about Jesus. Start your day that way. Sing of his loving kindness and justice forever. Seek him in the morning. Seek him in the evening. Seek him on your bed. Seek him before you get up serving. He's a good king and he wants to give you glory. I spent my glory in vanity. That's what that book's about. The question is, do we have men in Dallas who are going to live it? The sad thing is in Dallas, we got all kinds of men that are still treating women as playthings. You know, we say we're against human slave trafficking and then we just propagate pornography into our little hearts. We say that we think God is good, but we don't really run after him. We try and manage our relationship with him instead of being completely subservient to him and honor him. We don't really 
value or judge our relationship with him by saying, okay, if I really have a relationship with Jesus, I'd be like him, which means today I'm going to live to love and serve others. I'm going to think about my spouse if I've got one. I'm going to go, what can I do to bless her today instead of being frustrated that she's not going to do what I want her to do today? I'm going to be present with my kids. I'm not going to buy the lie that if I just throw food in the table, put a car in the driveway when they're 16, I've been a good dad. No. I'm not going to be a single man that, that thinks, man, I'm, I'm giving away my 20s and my, my, all my sexual virility right now, man. 20s are short now. I've got to get, have sex. Now, let me say, 20s are short. You've got to be faithful. You use your strength to come deeper in intimacy with God, not deeper in debauchery. And so here we go, man. That's how you live faithfully in Fayetteville and forever. And so this isn't really about college kids. It's about us as men in Dallas. Are we going to be men? Or is our city going to suffer judgment because the mighty man and the warrior for good is gone? I pray not. Father, help these men. I pray that um, today that we would go out of here together and we would say, okay, Lord, I started my day by thinking of you and being reminded of what Solomon ended his life reminding me of. And so I want to be your man. I want to be your man. I want, to, I want to make it all about you today. This is not about my career. It's not about my investments. It's not about my life. I don't have any wild oats to sow. I've just got my life to steward because you're my king. I thank you that you, my king, have made it your business to love and serve me by giving yourself that I might be reunited to the Father so that I could have the glory that I have departed from be restored in me. And so, Lord, I will yield myself to you. And in yielding myself to you, I will love and serve the way you loved and served. And I will lead myself so I can love and serve others in that way. Father, would you help me to be an individual that who goes throughout life and every day seeks first your kingdom and says, one thing will I seek, and that is intimacy with my Father. May I run with other men that go to war with me against things that are enemies to the souls of men and the purposes of God? Would I not treat women as my playthings, but as your daughters? May I not love people because of what they can do for me financially or popularity-wise? May I not use people and love things? May I love people and use the things you have given me to advance your kingdom. Make me wise. Make me humble. Make me, Father, a source of joy to others. Help us today to be ready, to be bold, to be kind, and to be faithful. For your glory, I pray. Amen. All right, guys, we'll gather in two weeks. What I did is I slapped this down. I did it quickly. A few of the verses are wrong. Uh, I'm tweaking this thing along the way, but everything I shared with you, I, I put together, and we'll hand it to you on the way out, that you can review it. Come up with better stuff than I did, but go and be men. God bless you. We'll see you.